Say his name again for me. Brett Barricay. 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 Okay. Oh, really? I have been... <laughs> I would, that is not what I would have said. But what, uh, what, are you even saying, like, Baroque? <laughs> Baroque Carry or something? Yeah, there, there are a lot of, um, you know, maybe superfluous uh, vowels and, and yeah. consonants. Don't tell him I said that, though. I've been pronouncing it correctly. Now, that's the perfect cold open to this episode. (laughs) This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from The Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Hildman. On this week's episode, court is in session, and more to the point, juries are back at Orleans Parish Criminal District Court this week after a six-week-long hiatus following the revelation that some people with past felony convictions were being illegally excluded from serving on juries for over a year and a half. A state judge dismissed a case brought by environmental groups opposed to a liquid natural gas export terminal in Plaquemines Parish. Those groups are now evaluating their legal options. And watch your speed in school zones as the traffic cameras are up and running again, but a new ordinance will require that school zone lights be functional as well in order for a speeding ticket to stick. Those stories, insight, and analysis coming up on Behind the Lens. Joining us this week, criminal justice reporter Nick Crastle. Hi, Nick. Hey, Carolyn. Environmental reporter Joshua Rosenberg. Hey, Josh. Hey, Carolyn. And education reporter Marta Jusen. Hi, Marta. Hey, Carolyn. Let's start with you, Nick. Juries are back in session. Remind us why that's important and what had happened. Sure. So the criminal district court suspended all jury trials for about six weeks. And the reason for that was it came to light that they had been illegally excluding jurors with prior felony convictions from from serving on, on juries. Um, so for, for a long time, no, no one with a felony conviction was allowed to serve on a jury in Louisiana. That changed in 2021. The legislature passed a law saying that people who had passed felony convictions, but have been off probation or parole for a period of five years were now eligible to serve on juries. But what we've learned is that that just didn't happen in in New Orleans. Um, The court did not change its procedures and it didn't change language on on the summonses that they were sending out to to get people to come in um, to to serve. So once this was kind of brought up, an advocacy organization wrote a letter to the the judges saying, hey, we, we noticed this issue. It took a couple of weeks, but eventually the judges decided that that they would halt all trials and uh, uh, go back and change the language on the summonses and and change their procedures um, to become to get into compliance with this new law. Um, what what we kind of don't know the extent of still, although we're we're kind of learning more, is how many people have been were were stricken from the the juror rolls altogether because right. they had a felony conviction and that matters because that means they might not be getting summonses in the first place um so even if even if the court updates the language you know that to the correct law um there may be people who who have been excluded so that's kind of the the background on it and jurors you know came back to court earlier this month and and now they're going forward with jury trials but there's still some kind of questions being raised about whether or not the the change in the process has been sufficient 
Um, and also there's going to be a question about all the convictions that that uh, occurred during this period when when things didn't appear to be operating in, in a legal way. Okay. Have they addressed how they can potentially determine if there are or how many are have been excluded um, from the rules yeah, permanently? So they can. And, and what we know is that during the time period after the law went into effect up until the time when when jurors were jury when juries were suspended is that 340 people had been um disqualified because of a felony conviction now some of those people could have been properly disqualified because maybe they weren't off probation or parole for five years right um so we don't actually know the proportion of those 340 that were correctly versus incorrectly disqualified but there were those 340 but you know, that only goes back to 2021. And what we do know is that when jurors were being disqualified for felony convictions, they were being permanently disqualified. So they were being stricken from the rolls and not added back on, you know, every year or anything. The, so going back to 2014, which is when the, the um, jury software that they use in the court has been operating, it's unclear how many people had been disqualified so I, I don't know if I heard an answer in there that, that they are able to determine a number, a, a hard number of people that had been permanently removed from the records. Is it even possible to recover that information? And if so, what do you then do about it? Well, it should be possible to find out who has been disqualified since 2014 and administrators that that um, that do this at the court have said that they have actually identified those people, and now they are all added back onto the the juror rolls. Oh, okay. um, the question of how many people that was is still open. Um, so there was a hearing last week, and the jury administrator testified and basically said, "Yes, we've added them all back on." And you know, a defense attorney said, "How many were there?" And she said, uh, "I can't. I can't really remember." Um, and that's kind of been, you know, an issue at, as this has played out, there's been some real struggle to, to get information that seems like it should be pretty easily available. You know, the, the judicial administrator, um, and a couple other administrators have been subpoenaed multiple times or attempted to be subpoenaed to, to testify, um, and have not shown up. So this has been a real kind of issue and I think a frustration for defense attorneys who are trying to raise this issue in their cases. How how did they respond to the answer, I don't remember? Did they push back on that? No, I mean, I think there's uh, only so much you can you can say when when someone responds in that way, you know, they have subpoenaed these records. And and at the time when the when the hearing took place, they had subpoenaed the records a few days before and the administrators had basically said, I don't have time to, to produce these. Um, the lawyers requested uh, a continuance in the hearing to to kind of push it forward so that they could actually get those numbers, which was denied by by the judge in the case. So yeah, it's been sort of this, this real struggle in, um, uh, in, in, in process to, to gather this information. Like, like I said, that you would think should be pretty readily available. 
there's a grand tradition of, I don't recall, sir, or I don't remember, ma'am, in uh, our court system, I suppose. Is there any is there any indication that any previously won convictions will be um, attempt will they will they attempt to relitigate those? I think I think it's almost certain that that some of these convictions are going to be are going to be challenged. Um, you know, I talked to the public defender's office about it, and they said um, that they're kind of assessing the best way to to bring these claims. But I think almost certainly, and I think you know, it's going to be something that's going to probably have to play out through through the appellate system and and through the higher courts um it's it's going to likely be be challenged and will play out i think you know over the next weeks and months and i think in in new orleans that looks like maybe about two dozen cases is is my understanding um but you know this is a statewide issue and and i think that um how how it plays out in other parishes is also going to be interesting Mm, okay Okay. All right. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. You are listening to Behind the Lens. I'm Carolyn Heldman. My guests this week are criminal justice reporter Nick Crestel, environmental reporter Joshua Rosenberg, and education reporter Marta Jusen. Hi, I'm Ann Muller, Chief Operating Officer at The Lens. The Lens aims to engage and empower the residents of New Orleans and the Gulf Coast. If you'd like the inside scoop on what stories we're pursuing, what events and initiatives are coming up, and to learn more about the people who report at The Lens, subscribe today to our newsletter at thelensnola.org slash newsletters. Thank you. Joshua. Judge Wilson Fields of the 19th Judicial District Court in Baton Rouge dismissed a lawsuit brought by three environmental groups that are opposed to the construction of an LNG export terminal under construction right now. What's the case about here? Yeah, uh, that's that's right. So these three environmental groups, the Sierra Club, the uh, Healthy Gulf, and the Deep South Center for Environmental Justice uh, filed a lawsuit against, if you will, uh, the Louisiana Department of Natural Resources, arguing that construction that's currently ongoing at this LNG export terminal, um, uh, Plaquemines LNG owned by a company called Venture Global, that construction really shouldn't continue unless the uh, state agency LDNR issues a coastal use permit um, they had only issued an exemption for a coastal use permit back in 2019. Um, and, and their position is that in, in the interim, since they've issued this exemption, there's all sorts of data showing that this construction of this facility does and, and would have a uh, direct impact on uh, the coastal waters um, that specifically Hurricane Ida um, and, and, and these um, reports issued um, by um, government, governmental uh, and, and quasi-governmental agencies uh, projecting sea level rise and, and, and the environmental outcomes of climate change show that um, LDNR really needs to take a closer look at this you know, facility and uh, an, an, an exemption is, is not appropriate. They really need to decide to issue a, a coastal use permit or construction really shouldn't continue at this site. 
And in, in response, LDNR is obviously opposed to that argument and, and, and their position is that they took you know, the um, uh, potential outcomes like uh, flooding and, and, and hurricanes into consideration the first time. And, um, you know, they, that was part of their evaluation. Um, they, they did their due diligence. They stand by the, their, 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 the position of not issuing a, a coastal use permit, instead issuing uh, an, an exemption. Um, and, and they also said that these groups missed the, the, the window of opportunity in which they could have um, appealed um, uh, on, on, under, under the statute, um, the relevant statute. And uh, also that they uh, this this is this is the improper venue for them to file this suit, mm. and so Judge Fields, um, to 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 get more to the point here, sided with the state and venture venture global was was acting as an intervener in this case as well. But they Judge Fields sided with the state and said yes, this is this is the wrong venue. Mm. He dismissed the case on on those grounds specifically. D- dismissing them on those grounds uh, does does that leaves the door open for them to file in a different venue? Absolutely. And um, at the time we published, um, that was as much information as um, as 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 we had. Basically, that they're exploring their options. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in, in terms of what their next steps are, are going to be in in in, in um, pursuing litigation, they the the one attorney uh, made it clear that they're still very interested in in pursuing litigation here. And uh, as of a few minutes before um, I hopped onto this podcast, um, she let me know that they filed a motion for reconsideration with Judge Fields asking him essentially to transfer this case to uh, Plaquemines Parish. Oh. And he may or may not do that. Um, and presumably if, if he doesn't do that, then they may or, or likely will file there themselves. So it, it sounds like this case is still very much alive in in their eyes and this is something that they're still interested in pursuing okay so does that happen you would think that they would have determined the right uh venue and it's a little surprising that they that it would have been thrown out saying that this is not the right spot yeah it's 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 tricky sometimes um you know i'm i'm not i'm not an expert mm-hmm. um in in matters of jurisdiction um but you know there's there's generally two options uh, when, when it comes to something like this in, in that you can challenge it where the action itself is happening which in this case is is this construction site um in Plaquemines Parish or you can challenge it uh, on, under certain statutes um where the uh, essentially where the decision is is being made uh and and in this case you know these state governmental agencies are all based in Baton Rouge and, and that's where they filed um this suit so it's it's kind of an art more than a science sometimes mm-hmm. or at least there's there's kind of a balancing act there so but it's not entirely yeah. bad news if it was if if that was the dismissal is just all right, wrong wrong door. Knock on the other door. Absolutely. He he didn't say anything about uh, the merits of this case. Right. He didn't get in 
in, he didn't get into anything. Um, you know, he didn't get uh, evaluate any of their arguments that they were making. So it's just, you know, right. As, as you said, this, this is, you don't have to, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here kind of thing. You know? <laughs> right. Good. All right. Well, I'm sure you'll stay on top of it. Thanks, Josh. Absolutely. You're welcome. Okay, Marta, I love this story. Traffic cameras in school zones have been a little bit of a bugaboo for many years, but city council introduced some legislation to try to fix those problems. Remind us of what the situation is and what, what's it been? Yeah, so, you know, we already have kind of a, a patchwork of a New Orleans school system, right? We have a decentralized school system with uh, schools, charter schools that operate on different unique calendars. And here's one of these um, centralized functions where we try to have school zone lights that would slow down traffic during school time. Um, throughout the city, you know, you're required to slow down in the morning and the evening for two hours um, while kids are going to and from school. And um, basically, you know, these these things have worked inconsistently from time I can remember moving to the city, which at that point in time, there were still ones from, you know, pre-Katrina that were up, that were there were no longer schools anymore. So it's just mm -hmm. always kind of been this patchwork of what schools are school zones are functioning properly? Is there even a school in that zone? Um, or, you know, sometimes the lights are working properly, but they're going off in the middle of the summer. Right. <laughs> right. So Joe Giarusso is now attempting to ad address this problem with uh, legislation. Tell us about that. Yeah. So their um, amended ordinance and actually all the other council members, members down as well. Um, would require that the lights are functioning properly in order to issue a ticket. And so that's that's kind of finally enshrining and writing um, something that Mayor Landrews, uh, chief administrative officer, said in 2013 that they had only issued tickets when the lights were functioning properly. But, you know, that was something that was just said in a council hearing and was never really written down or written in policy. And do you think that it, in fact, was happening? In you know, I, mean? I really don't know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. It's really hard to say. Um, I think if, you know, probably half or three quarters of the, if you get a camera ticket, you can see the light and whether it was functioning or not on that, you know, video that you can review. Right. But there's also cameras where you can't see the light. So okay. um, it's unclear if the, you know, the people issuing and reviewing those tickets were looking for that. And the other, a little bit of information in your story that piqued my interest is that they will issue the ticket at a threshold of now 24 instead of what used to be 26, which they changed in 2019. Will you tell us about that? Yeah. So in 2019, I, you know, I think people noticed that they were uh, getting more tickets or more tickets were being issued. And when confronted with this, the Cantrell administration did admit that they had lowered the threshold from 26 miles per hour to 24 miles per hour in these 20 mile per hour zones. And they said that they did it in the name of safety, but they hadn't told anyone about it, which, you know, kind of implies that they did not do it in the name of safety. Right. And they're just trying to make trying to make a little bit more money for the city. Right. Right. So if they've if they've lowered it, they'll be making more money. Do they now if if there's uh, this new legislation that would, I presume, mean there'll be fewer tickets altogether if they're only presumably able to... with yeah with some of the lights not working some of the time that's going to that's going to lower the number of tickets they're going to be able to issue okay and how did they address whether or not they how they know which lights are working so that's going to be the interesting question because they don't currently know which 
lights are working as of right now. Um, right now, they know that 13 lights aren't working properly, but you know, that in between of some lights that are not working properly that they don't know about, um, you know, they don't have a, this kind of like real time system to know. So I think that's something that we're going to see um, play out. And now I'm reminded of, of many discussions that we had over the years about smart cities, which presumably would have addressed that. Uh, yeah, potentially. I mean, if there's if there's more cameras and more footage out there, that's um, and, and more data. We'll see if that gets put into use. Right. Um, just as an aside, I think it's so interesting that they'll they'll ticket 26 miles an hour in a 20 mile an hour zone. What was the threshold? Now it's 24, but that's mm. a lot higher. What's gonna, the threshold for 35? I don't actually know. I'm guessing it's uh, well. I'm guessing it's above 40, but I'm not sure. I would be. I feel like I'd be surprised to see you get it one for 39, but. Yeah. Do they have to tell people, the public? Don't act. They t when you get a ticket, which I got recently, they show you how fast you were going. No, I know that, but do they have do they have to disclose somewhere at what what is the threshold at which what? they will? Issue I don't know if there's any requirement for that. I mean, presumably that's included in like some set of instructions that the ticket reviewer is looking at that would, you know, have a threshold for them to check the boxes to issue a ticket, right? So it's written down somewhere. It's just whether or not they, when and where they tell the public. So like when they dropped that from 26 to 24 and they didn't tell anyone and then you can't come out and say it was in the name of safety because <laughs> you didn't tell anyone to drive slower. <laughs> right, okay. Very quickly here, Marta, last week we discussed the closing and then we amended that, that um, Plessy was not going to be leaving the French Quarter. What happened there? Yeah, so I think, you know, Superintendent Avis Williams is uh, new to her job, new in her position. She's about, uh, what, eight months in now? And she kind of came out with what a, would be considered a rather aggressive decision by telling Plessy that it was going to be moving from the French Quarter um, and then we saw just a few days later her rescind that decision and say she was still taking her time to consider it. So right now we're kind of still in that wait and see mode. But, you know, generally speaking, I think there is a lot more communication that goes into those decisions. And so when she kind of came out and said that um, they were going to be moving, Plessy's CEO, Megan Ray Chattery, um, her letter to parents was like, came as that that this was a complete shock to her. Mm -hmm. So I think um, Dr. Williams is kind of pumping the brakes a little bit and maybe acclimating to the to the, you know, kind of the unspoken culture of how things are done here between charter school CEOs and the administration. But for now, they will not be permanently relocating. I do think there there's still a lot to be worked out in terms of like what um, what types of repairs they are actually going to put into that building and facility. Mm -hmm. um, and we do have, you know, just a continually shifting landscape of schools as the enrollment continues to decline. Right. But she pledged that it will be open for this next school year. Yes, they're actually they're going to be in a temporary location. What she was saying is that they they're not saying that they're going to permanently move them from their placium because they do need to put some some temporary work into it right now. Right. OK. All right. Thanks, Marta. Thank you. OK, guys. Thank you. Thanks, right. Carolyn. Bye, Carolyn. This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from The Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. Thanks to our guest this week, criminal justice reporter Nick Krastel. 
environmental reporter Joshua Rosenberg, and education reporter Marta Jusen. You can read all the week's other news plus opinions at our website, thelensnola.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>